friends, good morning and welcome to LifeHouse. We are so glad you joined us for worship today. If you have any questions, find someone with a lanyard. Now, here are some events coming up at LifeHouse. During this semester of Life Groups, we will be offering Financial Peace University. Classes will be held on Wednesdays from 7 to 8.30 p.m. here at LifeHouse starting February 6th. For more information about this nine-week course or to sign up to attend, please contact dfort at hebfcu.org. Hope to see you there. Hey, everybody. We are here at the beautiful Canyon Springs Golf Club. This is the site of our second annual Columbia Benefit Golf Tournament. Last year was amazing. This year is going to be even better. It's going to be a day of golf, and we're going to eat together afterwards. So save the date, April 11th. 2019. Get your team ready, get practiced up, because it's going to be on. That's right, and guess what? What's that? Your team's going down. Oh. <laughs> Did you guys notice that uh, one of the pictures was me? Yeah. And, uh, and did you notice that it actually looked like I knew what I was doing? Um, rest assured that I do not. I'm not, I'm not a good golfer. I like to play. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, but I find a team that has good players on it, and every now and then I can hit one that goes straight, and that's the one that we take. So uh, it'll, it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, anybody get any good news this week? Yeah? I, I got some good news. Uh, I think it's the, what was the news? It was um, spring is coming sooner than we thought. Uh, or, or then, then it could have been uh, with the whole Groundhog Day thing. But um, also, uh, I was reminded that IKEA opens in like a week and a half. That's that's good news, right? And uh, I, I don't want to brag, but I got to go yesterday uh, to like this friends and family thing, and you guys are missing out, honestly. I mean, it's really, really awesome, really awesome. I mean, like you guys should super be jealous, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Now, I got some really good news this last week, and I want to share it with you. And uh, it's from, uh, the good news is kind of twofold. It came uh, from an email that I got a little over, uh, or not quite a year ago. The original email, for some reason, first service, I said it was uh, exact date, and I thought it was, and I must have misread that. But uh, the first email I got was on February the 22nd of 2018. Uh, and I, w- I want to read this email to you, and it was, uh, it was a plea for prayer um, for Rick and Christy Bunger's granddaughter, who was in the hospital. We have a picture of her uh, lying in the hospital when she was born. And I, I want to read the email to you, and then I'll-, I'll follow it up with a recent email I got. Our granddaughter, Emma, was five weeks premature and uh, was a uh, gastro Thank you. That is not how it's spelled on here, but uh, a gastroschisis baby, meaning she was born with a large portion of her bowel, small portion of her stomach, and one ovary on the outside of her body. Most of this we all knew about and been praying about. Rick and I used the time of church-wide fasting and prayer. If you remember, we uh, try to commit the first part of our year to uh, prayer and fasting. Uh, Rick and I used that time uh, to focus on Emma. Of course, Ryan and Valerie had been told what to expect, but we know that our God can do anything. By the end of the day, 
Monday, the surgeon had been able to place her stomach and ovary back inside her body and wrapped in the, uh, and wrapped the bowels in a bag, which they then suspended above her, the intent being that the bowels would hopefully gradually move back inside of her. When the surgeon went by to see her the, the, this morning, he said he was surprised to see how quickly her bowels had already moved about 50%. He said it normally doesn't happen that fast. Well, we're not surprised at all because that's exactly what we had prayed for. Our son Ryan also told me this morning that he and Valerie were praying for Emma. This is a huge uh, victory because he hasn't admitted to praying for or wanting any prayer for years. As of this afternoon, he said that the bowels have moved by about 60%. Obviously, God is at work here and he's not through yet. Our prayer focus or request now is that Emma will continue to recover at a rapid pace so that all will see the power of God and that God will protect her from pain and suffering. Her heart rate was accelerated this morning because she has been poked and messed with so much by medical personnel, but I know that God can protect her from that also. We're so thankful for what God has already accomplished through the power of prayer. Fast forward to an email I got on January 31st, 2019. Since we just celebrated our granddaughter Emma's first birthday, I couldn't help but let you all know how much God has done for her through this past year. It is because of God's healing power and his mercy that she is fully restored and is a great joy and blessing to all of us. When I remember where she was a year ago and then I see her now, I am full of thankfulness for all God has done. Her doctors have all been amazed at how well she has done and say that they wish all of their patients with Emma's same condition were doing half as well as she is. She has no physical issues remaining from her original condition. Emma's name means whole and complete, a fitting name for someone who God made physically whole and complete after birth. Not only did God make Emma whole through his works in her, she also brought wholeness to our family by restoring broken relationships that we had tried to fix for years. But of course, we know that God does all things well and doesn't leave out anything. We are thankful and grateful for all that he has done. Can we just give the Lord just an absolute... What an amazing picture and what an amazing story of God's faithfulness. Um, we just, we live in this, in this time and place in, in, in the world where things like babies' bowels can be born outside of their body and, and through the miraculous work of doctors and physicians that, st- that healing can take place. I also believe that God heals today. And, and if we ever get to a place to where we stop believing in the healing power of God, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Last week, I talked about uh, the difference between being a, uh, a believer and a disciple. And today, I want to kind of continue that, uh, that line of thinking. I want to talk to you about what it is to the difference between being a believer and a disciple. I want to introduce to you the disciples, and not because you can't read about them in Scripture, but so often we kind of just gloss over who the, the original disciples were, and, uh, and, and some of them we know, right? We know Peter because Peter, uh, you know, made some pretty boneheaded moves, but he also took a lot of steps of faith as well, and, uh, and so Peter's kind of well-known, right? He's famous in the Bible. Um, we know of 
John because he was the one that Jesus loved, and he wrote a lot. He wrote like five books of the Bible. But let me just read you the list. So of course, there's Simon, who was known as Peter. He was the first disciple. Um, Andrew was Peter's brother. He was the first apostle called by Jesus. Uh, James of Galilee. He was the son of Zebedee. You guys remember Zebedee, right? Yeah. Um, John the apostle. Uh, he wrote five books of the Bible. He was James's brother. There's Philip the Apostle, Bartholomew. He was a friend of Philip. There's Thomas, and he's best known as being Doubting Thomas, which is really just unfortunate, honestly, because, I mean, think about it. The guy is a disciple of Jesus. He's a follower of Jesus. He's been spending all this so faithful, and somebody comes to him. I mean, his, his best friend had died. He watched him die, and people come and say, Jesus is risen from the dead, and he just has a question, right? He's like, did he really raise from the dead? Like, when I see him, then I'll believe. And for the rest of his life, and even for the rest of history, he's known as the guy who doubted, right? That's not fair. I mean, if, if, I'm, Tom, if I'm Thomas, I'm thinking, you know, if I saw my Savior die, I'm, and somebody comes to me and says, hey, no, he's risen from the dead. I'm like, I'll believe it when I see it, right? And, and yet, unfortunately, we know Thomas is doubting Thomas. There's Matthew, the tax collector. Nobody really liked Matthew before he became a disciple because, well, he's a tax collector. And we don't, even today, really like tax collectors. If you like a tax collector, it's because you are one or you're married to one. <laughs> Certainly not because you love giving taxes. James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, you guys remember Thaddeus, right? Nope, you don't, because he's rarely mentioned in Scripture. Uh, Simon the Canaanite, and then, of course, Judas Iscariot, the, the betrayer. It's interesting, you know, even Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, Jesus called a friend. These are guys who all had one thing in common. Guess what it was? These guys, of all 12, none of them, ever prayed a sinner's prayer. You ever think about that? Like, they, they never sat in a church service and when there was an altar call, raised their hand and said, I'll, I'll get saved. Jesus, when he, when he calls them and, and he talks to Matthew and says, Matthew, will, will you follow me? And Matthew says, yeah, I'll follow you. He said, okay, just raise your hand. Now pray this prayer. Okay, now you can follow me. Never happens. Now, I'm someone who uh, got saved in an environment where there was an opportunity, an invitation, a response time. So I'm not trying to minimize or downplay that we, at times, give that opportunity for people to respond to Jesus. So there, I'm not saying that's a wrong thing, but I just think it's interesting that it never happens with the disciples. Instead, they're invited to follow him. Somewhere along the way, we have limited our relationship with Christ to a single moment. To a point at which we respond, we raise a hand, we stand, we come to the altar, we, we, we pray a prayer. And somewhere along the line, we've minimized what it is to be a follower of Jesus to that one singular moment. There's nothing wrong with that moment. But it wasn't the raised hand 
that is the response to Jesus. It's not the prayer that was prayed. It's not the walking or crawling or, or I don't know, weeping, whatever. It's, it's the faith by which we raise our hand. It's the faith by which we pray. It's the faith by which we surrender to the Lord, surrender to the one that we trust to actually be the leader of our life. It's the faith. It was the faith that caused the disciples to follow, to step into relationship with Jesus. But we've complicated things. It's interesting how history repeats itself. If you look in the Old Testament, what you'll find is uh, through all of the laws, there's like 217 laws, 217 rules by which they needed to follow, which is a lot, right? I mean, to keep track of all those, when can I do this, when can I not do that? Well, it's a lot of laws. But what's interesting is the point at which it goes from the Old Testament to the New Testament, there's a, a gap of 400 years between Malachi and the time that Jesus walked the earth. In 400 years, they managed to add 400 more laws and rules. That's what happens when you leave it up to man to determine relationship with Christ. Well, we gotta, we, we gotta politicize this thing. We gotta, we gotta put rules into the place. We, you can't do this, you can't do that. So it went from 217 to 611 rules by the time Jesus walked this earth. And oh, by the way, a religion was created and now all of a sudden you have Sadducees and Pharisees and all of the fees that people uh, looked up to. And, and Jesus kind of didn't like all that. I mean, he loved them, but he didn't like what they were doing. He had things to say to them that was a little bit corrective or maybe a lot. Things got complicated. It got hard to be a true believer we live in a world that has come to be complicated today. We live in a world that honestly, in some ways, despises Christianity, but is a little bit enamored with who Jesus is. I realize that statement doesn't make a lot of sense because it's like, well, Christianity and Jesus are synonymous with one another, but I would say that in our, in our attempt to be Jesus followers, we have complicated the process and have come up with a religion and rules and language that is more about what we're against than what it is that we're for. Originally, Christians were referred to as followers of the way. What does that mean? Well, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so followers of the way were the people who were following Jesus, and it alluded to this way of living that Jesus and his followers had become known for. They had this, this way in which to live that actually helped people learn more about God and how to find him. And they demonstrated how to follow him. Christianity, unfortunately, is not always the best example to the world in how to be a follower of Jesus. Here we go. Matthew 10.1. Jesus calls his 12 disciples together. And this is what he, one of the first things that he says to them. He says, I've given you authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Now, I don't, I don't want to be 
judgmental. I don't want to fall into the pharisaical, sadducical camp. But I, I know a lot of people who call themselves Christians that if they encountered an evil spirit would have no idea what to do. That if, if somebody came to them and said, I have this disease that, that I need healing from, they would say, I'm, I'm not qualified for that. He, go talk to Pastor Glenn. He heads up the prayer team. He'll, he'll take care of it. Go, go see Pastor Ryan. He'll fix it. Right? That, that there's something about being a believer versus a Christ follower where one of the first things that as Christ followers were to do as disciples is to be available to the things that God wants to do through us. That we are his, his hands and his feet. We are his eyes to see people. We have the opportunity to actually make a difference in people's lives. It's interesting, I'm studying a little bit about the miraculous, the miracles that we see in Scripture and healing. And because honestly, I just don't see enough of it. I don't see a lot of it at all, actually. And so I'm just kind of studying and saying, what, what, what are we doing wrong? What are we missing that we don't get to experience more of the miraculous in this world, or at least in this country? And one of the things I'm learning is if you look throughout Scripture, you never see Jesus praying for healing of the sick. You ever think about that? Sure, he spits on the ground, throws some mud in a guy's eyes, you know, but he doesn't pray for them. He lays hands on them, but he doesn't pray for them. You know what he does? He speaks it, he speaks healing. The assumption being that it's already the desire of the Father to heal the person. He speaks healing. There, there's a, a sense of, of understanding that comes from that that we feel at times where as believers, if we just believe harder, if we just pray stronger, if we just... If we just say the right combination of words, then they'll get healed. If I just had the gift, you have the gift. You have the gift not because of you. You have the gift because of the Holy Spirit in you. Because the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. That's probably a message for another time. Matthew 4.19, there's some examples of where Jesus is, is inviting the disciples to follow him. And I apologize uh, to the guys I did for service as well. And uh, I ended up adding a bunch of scriptures that I didn't give them this week. And uh, so it's not their fault. They're not up on the screen. So um, there's some that will be in your notes. Some will be up on the screen. And then guess what? The rest of them, they're in your Bible. You should read it and see if, <laughs> see if it's there. Matthew 4.19 says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He's talking to fishermen. Right? He's talking to guys who for a living they were catching fish. And now he's flipping the table and saying, you will no longer be catching fish, although there is times in which they continue to catch fish. But your job, your calling is not just to catch fish, it's to catch men. It's to go and to actually be a follower of Jesus and see healings take place, see the miraculous happen. Matthew 5.22 says, follow me and let the dead, the dead bury the dead. It talks to the sacrifice that's required of being a Christ follower. 
Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Get this, Matthew got up and followed him. Like he's there, sitting there at the table, at the booth, making money, cheating people out of their money, actually making a lot of money. And Jesus says, hey, I got an idea. How about stop making money, come follow me? And he's like, yeah, okay, sounds like a good idea. See, the reason we're content, I think, with being a believer over a follower of Jesus is the cost. It's going to cost us something. Certainly cost Matthew some of his livelihood, right? All of a sudden, he went from making a significant living. I'm pointing over here. I apologize. Yeah, I don't think it's you guys. But the significant living, and all of a sudden, now, he's following Jesus and committed his whole life to that process. The reason we're content with being a believer is because I think at times we're not willing to pay the cost. We're not willing to work at it. You say, whoa, 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 I, what do you mean work at it? I'm saved by grace, through faith, not of works, so that I can never boast. Don't talk to me about works. You are saved by grace through faith, but I think oftentimes we stop there and we never walk out the obedience because it's too much work. Let me give you a passage of scripture that none of us will really like all that much. It's from Matthew 12, verse 30. This is Jesus speaking. He says, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me, there's that word work again, is actually working against me. Now, The question maybe for us this morning is, who are you working for? Who are you working with? Are you working with Jesus or are you working against him? And here's the beauty of the God that I serve, is that no matter whether you find yourself today working with him or against him, he loves us the same. He loves us the same. It doesn't change how he loves you, how he sees you. But his desire is for us to be working with him but we don't like to work. In fact, I think we spend more time figuring out how not to work than we do on actually just working. We we look for the short circuit. We look for the easiest path, right? How can I get to retirement so I no longer have to work anymore? We We don't like work. It's why there's like a 1983 hit song called, I Don't Wanna Work. I think the lyrics say something like, I want to bang the drum all day long. You know, oh, that sounds like fun. There's a guy by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus uh, was, was a wee little man. And uh, as if he's Irish, he's a wee little man. He's also a tax collector, again, on our list of people we don't like all that much. And Jesus walks by, and many of you know this story. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty familiar story, but Jesus invites himself over. How, how many of you like people who invite themselves over to your house, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. and you can't say no, right? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, of course you can come over to our house and eat our food and do things, you know, I mean, hang out and keep me from my nap. Well, yeah, yeah, come on over. But Jesus invites him over, himself over to Zacchaeus' house, 
And here's Zacchaeus' response, because here's what happens when, when Jesus is in your house, you begin to clean house. You begin to change things. And Zacchaeus stood up and he says to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. I love this line. It says, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, Zacchaeus, you're a tax collector. It is, that's what you do is cheat people out of things. No if, you have, right? But he's like, hey, listen, if, if I've cheated anybody, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pay it back four times what I did. If, you know, that's probably just a few people, like everybody. He says, if, I, if I've wronged anybody, when Jesus comes to your house, all of a sudden your perspective changes and things begin to change around there. And you start cleaning your house. You start righting the wrongs that have taken place. And the reason why is because it's the Holy Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit that lives within us. Colossians 1.29 says, To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. It's not... To this end, I easily contend with all of the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I strenuously. There's work. It's hard. It's not always easy. So I want to look at what being a follower of the way really means. The first point in your notes is where you go, I will follow. Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus says to the disciples, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Here's how the conversation between me and God goes. Oftentimes is, uh, God, where you go, I will follow where you lead, I will go. And then I read a scripture like that that says, take up your cross and follow me. I'm like, except for there. I, I, I don't know. That sounds harsh. It sounds brutal. Like that doesn't sound fun, taking up a cross, carrying it anywhere. To, to take a burden, that, no. Let me rephrase it, God. God, wherever you go, I will go as long as I want to go there. As long as I'm, I'm headed in that direction anyways, I'll go. I don't want to step out of my comfort zone. I don't want to go to a place in which you are leading me to go if it's, if it's uncomfortable, if it's difficult. And what, what would change in our life if we became followers of the way where we say, God, wherever you go, I will go. John 12, 26 says, anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. When I stay close to Jesus, oftentimes what happens is I'm convicted of my sin or I'm, I have the power to be delivered from my sin. If Jesus was Oftentimes what happens is we minimize to the point of, of belief. And from that point on, we are as close to Jesus as we've ever been before. 
But if we're not careful, if we're not willing to step into being a follower of Jesus, we'll stay at that place. And Jesus gets further and further and further away. Does it mean we've lost our belief in who Jesus is? No, absolutely not. But it gets harder to know how to live as a follower. Because we're not with him. We're not in his presence. In some ways, we've, we've given up hope that we could even be a follower. I wasn't sure if I had told this story, uh, and so on the way to, to, to church this morning, I asked Kelly, I said, hey, have you, have you remember this story? And she's like, I don't think you've told it on a Sunday, but I've heard it about a thousand times, so <laughs> I have no idea. And, uh, and so you guys can't remember what I said last week, so I'm pretty sure you don't remember it. Um, but last year, last March, I was, uh, I was snow skiing, uh, in, in Lake Tahoe and, uh, it was, it was blizzarding this day. It was just Jacob and myself and we, uh, Jacob was learning how to snowboard. And so, uh, we, we were out there skiing, but just a blizzard coming down. I did, I wasn't prepared. I didn't have goggles. I just had sunglasses on and, and, uh, and so Jacob was done. He had, I mean, it, it was hard work for him to, to learn. And so, but I paid a lot of money for my lift ticket. They were closing lifts. I wanted to go uh, one, one last time. Now, I did hear uh, somebody texted me between first and second service. It said, uh, if Texans, if God wanted Texans to ski, he would have given them mountains. Um, but... I am technically born from the Northwest and, uh, and grew up skiing, and so I, I was attempting to ski, and uh, I'm a decent skier, but when I decided to go for one last run as the snow was falling, I didn't really pay attention to the lift that I got on. And I wasn't looking for symbols or things like that, and I just, I just got on the, the closest lift to the lodge. And then it was a quad lift, if, that, if you don't know what that means, quad means Four. And so I was the only one, and it starts taking me up the mountain, and it's, the snow just keeps coming down. And by the time that I got to the top, I kind of had already had this sinking feeling in my stomach by the time I, I, or as I was getting there. But by the time I got to the top, all of my fears were confirmed that I had gotten on the wrong lift because there were three options. If I go to the left, my left, there was a double black diamond. To get down. And if you don't know what that means, because you're not a skier, it's not good. Uh, over to straight, or kind of straight below the lift was another double black diamond. So two options that were not good. And then there was a, a run that was called the easy way down. And I said, that's it. That's, that's the direction I'm headed. Unfortunately, they were liars because <laughs> it was not the easy way down. And instead, what happened was, is I, I started down the easy way down and found myself on the backside of the mountain. And there ain't anybody else around. The snow's coming down, my, my sunglasses are fogging up, and I can't see anybody. And if you've ever been out in the snow by yourself, it's just quiet. Can't hear anybody, can't see anybody. And I thought, this is where I die. This is gonna be it. Fear, anxiousness, all of a sudden coming up, and I was like, I am going to die. There was not a groom trail. It was just powder through the trees. 
And I thought, this is not the easy way down. This is where I'm going to die. And all of a sudden, through my fog glasses, I could see two people down the hill. And I thought, hope. If I could just get to them, I have hope of living. Hope of living because hopefully they know the way down. And hope for living, if they don't, I could eat one of them if it came down to it. (laughs) So I may live a little bit longer. But I get to them, and the first thing I say is, do you guys know the way down? And they're like, we have no idea. (laughs) Neither of them knew. They were as lost as I was. No hope. Which is an interesting analogy. It's probably an analogy for a different time. But when we put our hope in man, there really isn't a whole lot of hope. So we put our hope in flags. We found a couple flags. I actually forgot to tell the rest of the story to first service. Everybody's like, did you get off the mountain? I'm like, no, I didn't. So I find the, we find a flag, and I'm pretending like I'm confident. Instead, I'm dying inside of fear, and we find a flag, we find another flag, and eventually it opens up to hope. It opens up to a groomed trail that then led us back down to the lodge, and they closed all the lifts after that because of the blizzard that we were in. And I say all of that to say that until you can see something in the distance, you have no hope. If, if you allow Jesus to be so far away, it can feel hopeless. And here's the thing is, if you're going through those kind of peaks and valleys of this life that we live in that we talked about a few weeks ago, when you're in the valley and he's far away, you can't see him over that next peak. You can't see him from, from the valley. And so there has to be presence with Jesus. Followers of the way are close in proximity to the way, to Jesus. The second point is what you model, I will do. Jesus lived on this earth as a a sinless man to model for us what it is to live in this life. In 1 John 3, 4 through 8, it says, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. It's what he did on the cross, right? He appeared on, the, he appeared on earth, died on the cross to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No, one's, no one who is in his presence keeps on practicing sinning. That's really what that, some of your translation may even say, continues to practice sin. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or know him. If you continue to practice in your sin, the question is, have you ever seen the way? Have you ever seen Jesus? Have you ever been in his presence? Dear children, don't let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They, will, they cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Those are some hard verses for us to hear. 
You say, well, what do you mean we, we don't sin? Like, I mean, we're tempted by sin all the time. Get in, the, get in your mind that word practice. The one who continues to practice in sin. Does it mean we'll be, we won't be tempted anymore? Obviously not. There's always temptation that even the, the, the devil, the enemy of our soul, tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Right? There's temptation there. Will we be tempted by sin? Of course. But will we go on practicing sin? Not if we have been in the presence of God. Not if we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We will not go on sinning. Hebrews 12.4 says, After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. What an amazing verse of the picture that we just described of this sense of actually struggling through. Number three, who you love, who Jesus loves, I will love. Let him change us. That when we're followers of Jesus and we're spending time with him, we have a clear perspective of the people that he loves. What would it look like if we let him change us so that we can love the people that he loves? Love is something that takes a lot of work, and it's why we don't do it. It's hard. It takes a lot of practice. Romans 12.2 says, Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you spend time with Jesus, when you're in his presence the renewal of your mind takes place. You now see people the way that he sees them. You'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's hard for us to love people the way Jesus loves people because it's hard work. There's a story in the, in the book, Leading Like Jesus, where the author tells of a pastor friend of his that was welcoming a known prostitute to his congregation. They're at a church function for young people, and she strips down to a bikini and jumps in the swimming pool with the rest of the youth. Watching some old parishioners in his church looking at her with wide eyes and stares, which probably says something about the, the parishioners. He decided to prevent certain judgment that they were going to cast on that woman. He took his shoes off and he jumps into the pool with her, clothes and all. There are people all around us who have dismissed the church but are fascinated with Jesus. And the most secure and the most courageous followers of the way are willing to risk rejection from the religious to reach those that Jesus loves. We become more and more equipped to love people when we spend time with the one who loves them. After Paul makes that original statement in verse 2 of Romans 12, he goes on in verse 9 and he just says, this is what it means to be a disciple. And I want to read this to you. It's quite a few verses, but I want to read it to you because I hope that as as people who are pursuing this relationship with God, and certainly as people who are wanting to move from being a believer to a follower of Jesus, we would, we would look at this, this roadmap 
of what it means to be a follower in this world. It says in verse 9, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. How many of us are patient with anything, let alone in our trouble? It says, be patient in our trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality, you know, to the people that invite themselves over to your house. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. What? Bless those who actually persecute you. Don't curse them. If, if you've ever found yourself in a situation, whether it's driving in 281 traffic or whatever, and you are cursing someone, be reminded that a follower of Jesus does not do that. And you say, well, I think being a follower of Jesus is more than just, you know, whether I curse somebody or not. It is, but it's also whether or not you're cursing someone. Pray that God will bless that. All right, come on. It's one thing if they're, if they're, if they're hurting me, if they're persecuting me, but, but now you, you actually want me to bless those people? Are you kidding me? Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Sometimes being a follower of Jesus is just showing up. Not trying to fix people, but just showing up and crying with someone who's crying. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Such an interesting verse. As if they're not ordinary, right? It's like, well, we kind of got it all together, but, but I got time to hang out with the ordinary people. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Whoever those ordinary people are in your life, invite them over. And don't think that you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. In fact, do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Never take revenge. Dear friends, never respond poorly on Facebook. I mean, that's what it should say. <laughs> Dear friends, stop posting things about what you're against. Instead, leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And in doing this, guess what? You'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads, and that's what we're talking about right there. <laughs> Finally, some justice that comes. But look at it. It says, if you, if you are 
gracious. If you bless those who persecute you, you don't have to worry about justice. God's got that. And you will actually kill people with their kindness. Not actually. You will figuratively kill people with their kindness. Because of your love of Christ, because of your honoring, because of your blessing, we're reminded that maybe that might make a difference in someone's life. Maybe that will bring change because I assure you, a post on social media never will. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Finally, how, how you care for people. I will share. I will care. Matthew 28, 18 through 19 says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Being a follower of the way, being a Jesus follower. You could look at all of those things and say, Yeah, yeah, I got that. Romans 12, 12 9 through, yeah, I got it. Like, I'm pretty good about that. I don't, I don't repay evil with evil or any of that stuff. Then my question is, as a Jesus follower, who is following you? Because followers of Jesus have people who are following them. They're making disciples. And so as we press into moving from believer to follower, we ought to be investing in others. We ought to be modeling for people what it is to live, not a Christian life, not a religious life, but a Jesus life, the life that Jesus modeled for us. Let's pray. Oh, Father, this is certainly not an easy task or message. But God, I just recognize that for, for so many people, we, we find ourselves minimizing our relationship with you to that one point of salvation and there's so much more that you have for us. That as we press into followers, God, we get to experience your love in a way that we've never experienced it before. We get to experience your healing power through us. God, that we get to we get to actually make a difference in a culture that, ha- that really hates religion but loves your son, Jesus Christ. Time and time again, we hear these stories of people being visited in dreams and different things of, 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 that's con- a conversion to Jesus. God, I pray that we would be people who are representatives, that we would be people who are disciples in our world. And so much of our, of our message in the church is to prepare people for the, the smaller portions of our life. And God, I pray that as we become followers, as we, be, as we step more into your presence, God, that doesn't just affect our time here in church, but God, it actually makes a difference in the worlds that we live. Lord, we love you. We surrender to you today. God, if there be anyone here this morning who has never even had that point of belief, the point of salvation, God, I pray that right now in their seat, in this moment, no hands raised, no prayer given, they just would surrender their heart and life to you. And for so many others who have 
made that decision to be a believer in you and yet have seen you move further and further and further away as they've they've remained there and they have not followed, God, that we would run, run hard after you. We would run to be in your presence. We would run to be right next to you through this life. And God, that we would continue to learn, continue to grow what it is to be Jesus in this world. We love you, Lord. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna invite the ushers to come and we receive our offering this morning. If you filled out the card, you can drop it in there. And uh, if you're visiting with us, you don't have to feel obligated to give. This is what we do. But I'm gonna pray for that. And then we're gonna stand and we're gonna, we're gonna close our time out uh, singing. Father, uh, we just we receive our tithes and offerings this morning as a sacrifice of our praise. God, we recognize that everything that we have has, really belongs to you. It comes from you in the first place. And this is an opportunity to recognize that that when we give, we are acknowledging the fact that this doesn't belong to us. And that when we give, it's not out of need or want or any of those things. It's a, it's a gift. It's a, a cheerful gift to say, God, now I get to look at what, you, what to do with the rest of the money that you've entrusted me with. So God, we give faithfully, cheerfully, joyfully, and ask, Lord, that you would just continue to do the miraculous. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, go ahead. And after the basket's gone by, I'm going to invite you to stand. And here's what I'd encourage you to do is, as you stand and as you sing, as you worship, would would you begin to ask the Lord, what are the areas in which I've drifted? What are the areas in which I have seen seen a distance between me and the Lord? What areas of the list of Romans 12, 9 through 18, what are, what are some of the things that I really, really struggle with and can we give those to the Lord today?